Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Take out your copy of God's Word, and let's continue in our look at the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 9. The Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 9. Starting with verse 28. This is one of the most often talked about passages in all of Scripture, and yet also one of the least understood. Because like the apostles of old, we see things through very human eyes, and we witness the awe and the wonder of Jesus suddenly demonstrating His glory. For the 30-some-odd years that He has been with on, the, with on the earth, excuse me, and the three years that He has been mentoring His disciples, they have known Him as the human Jesus. They have seen Him not as the glory of God, but as the rabbi, as the person in their midst. And here Jesus gives us a very special demonstration of a heavenly reality. To set the scene for you, he's revealed before his followers once before that his hour is coming. They've started the slow descend along the River Jordan in the pathway that would take them from Nazareth into Samaria and into the area of Judea. The land from which Jesus' family emerges. Only he would be met with great celebration but a few times. He is going with the attention that he will not come back. And he's trying to prepare the hearts of his disciples for this truth. That as we come together in communion, as the bread is broken which represents in the Jewish mind, the meat and the, the sacrifice of that first Passover lamb, the lamb that was slain for the, the release and the freedom of God's people. Jesus is now trying to tell them that he is a new lamb. That the temporary sacrifice is now passing away and that a permanent sacrifice, the propitiation of sin, the fulfillment that diminishes God's wrath, that 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 extinguishes it in the heart of the believer is coming to pass, but he has to lay down his life. The lamb without spot or blemish. And he goes to a mountaintop to seek his father in prayer. And in an echo of what could happen, that what would happen later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, he now approaches the Father. None of the Gospels record precisely his words. But we can assume from the previous passage in Luke's Gospel, this is what he's talking to God about. And God sends down two people to comfort him. Two people that not only have the mission of comfort, but that also point to him. So let's begin in our passage. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. When you get there in your own copy of God's Word, say Amen. 
Verse 28, about 80 days, excuse me, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, about his death which was about to bring to fulfillment Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Jesus Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Let us build three shrines. The same way that they used to raise up pillars in the desert or that they would take and make altars of unhewed stone to memorialize things of importance. Back in the Old Testament day, Peter is still thinking with that Old Covenant mindset. He's still thinking from the flesh with his own human reason and he wants to build something that would be an, an image for worship for Jesus. For the giver of the law. And for one of the chiefs among the prophets. Do you see the connection? But he was saying this in the flesh. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is also an Old Testament image. One that you should be very familiar with. The Shekinah glory of the Lord appeared and encompassed them. Jesus, the tabernacle, the fullness of the Godhead bodily appearing in their midst. And now the Father is making His presence known. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son. In this translation, it is my son who I have chosen. In some translations, it is my son who has been anointed. In other passages, this is my son. This is my beloved son. With this command, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. His disciples kept this to themselves. And did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, again we come before your throne of grace. Asking that what is being read now would be understood and applied. That as always your spirit would speak to us. Your truth would be made manifest not only in our understanding but in our very lives. So use this time, use these feeble efforts, and use your word which you have promised will not return into you void, but will accomplish that for which it was sent. So be with us now. Use us to bring comfort to those who desperately need it, to bring learning to those who are in your household, and to help those who have yet to come to know you in a free pardon of sin, to know where they stand with you so they might come to you before it is everlastingly too late. In the matchless name of Christ, we dedicate this time to you. 
all God's people said. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we've talked about this before. We've talked about this in the passage not too long ago where the disciples were asked, who do you say that I am? But now there can be no further doubt. Now the three of the inside have been alerted to something new. They not only saw Jesus as the human being in the flesh, they now saw him in the glory of his deity. They see his divinity exposed for them, shining bright as the sun, the way that he truly is, that he would be in heaven. And things start to click into place. Jesus is the anointed one of Israel, the Messiah. Now in this point in time, those who live in the land of Israel are not looking for the Son of God, so to speak. They are not looking for God made flesh. They are looking for a king in, the, in, in David's image. They are looking for a military leader. They are looking for someone to unify the, the tribes of Israel, to throw off the yoke of Rome, to make Israel its own kingdom again, to have the rest of the world bow down to them politically. They are not looking for the spiritual kingdom. They are not looking to the heavenly kingdom. They are looking to within just the confines of their own borders. This is not the Jesus that they wanted, but it's the Jesus who God had planned for them from the beginning. He is the anointed one of Israel. He is also in union, as we read about last time, with God the Father Almighty, created with in, uh, creator of heaven and earth. For I and the Father are one, as he declared. They tried to stone him when, he, when they said that very word. There are many out there that claims that, 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 that profess, even from the pulpits, that Jesus never claimed to be God. How many times have I read just in this study of Luke that they tried to stone him for such things? I and the Father are one. He is one in union with God the Father. All of the deity of the Godhead bodily in one person. In the beginning, there was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelt, tabernacled with us. He is the Prince under heaven, the one through whom we are able to come into the family of God, and through whom we are the princes and the princesses of the kingdom under him as the firstborn of many. You are part of a royal family that defies description. Do you know that? That you are so beloved of God that you are not merely a friend of God, that you are not merely a, a person who is a believer in God, but you are his sons and his daughters, empowered. Is the very... Children of the living God. Let his name be praised. And all God's people said. That's enough to make a Baptist shout. You know it? Don't be afraid to give glory to God. He is the high priest of the heavenly kingdom. We have read several places in scripture that right now he is living to ever make intercession for us. 
that while the devil might have access to the throne to try to condemn us, Jesus himself, the Son of God, is right here praying for us, whispering into the very ear of God, these are mine. They have my mercy, they have my blood. They are the reason that I gave my life. Have mercy upon them. He, li he ever lives to make intercession for you. He is the coming ruler of the universe. He already owns it. But the world we live in today is in stark rebellion. The enemy thinks that this kingdom is his. One day, both politically and spiritually, this world will come back under the dominion of the God that created it. And all God's people said. He is the Lord of the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. He is our ruler. He is our Lord. He is our master. Let everything that is prayed, that is sung, that is spoken, that is taught, that is done within these or any walls that bear the image of Christ, the flag of his cross, may they all be in full accordance with his will. And no one else's. May the temptations of the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, be exiled from these walls and from the walls of our homes and from the tenants of our minds and hearts. And he is the redeemer and friend of the fallen, the lover of your soul. For God so loved each and every one of you that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believeth in him, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what background you come from, all you have to do is confess, believe, and repent, and eternal life is yours. Amen. To the glory and the grace of Almighty God. This is His Majesty. You are his treasured possession. The jewels in the crown of God. He doesn't just care for you as an absentee father. He doesn't just care for you the way that a relative who lives two states away would, that you only hear about every now and again. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He knows your needs before you ask them. He is right here beside you, walking with you through every step of your life. He has given so much for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of your companionship, for the sake of your soul. Now again, God is not the magic ATM machine in the sky. Don't take me to say that. Because if you're in Christ, you are promised that this world will be upset with you. Nevertheless, he who is within you is far greater than what? He who is within the world. Now we're starting to sound like a Baptist church. Let God be glorified for everything that he has done. And let us extend praise in advance for what we know through his promises that he's still accomplishing. Amen. It's his glory and majesty.
and that barely touches the surface of the glory of God, but his, the wonder of his love, his majesty. Don't forget that in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when Moses ascended to receive the Ten Commandments, when he went up to get the, the earthly copy of the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, when he came back down, having been exposed to the Shekinah glory of, law, of God for as long as he was, he himself was reflecting it even in the presence of a fallen world. They had to put a veil over his face because he was shining so brightly, he was blinding them physically. This is the God whose glory we come to share, whose glory we come to worship. But he's not only glorious in his majesty and his beauty, he's also glorious in his compassion. How do I know that? Because I'm a beneficiary of it, and if you're in Christ, so are you. Now, getting back to the text for just a second. When he came to the mountain to pray, he was still very much reckoned as any other human being. But as he considered the cup that he was about to drink from, God sent two witnesses to his feet. Moses comes, Elijah comes, two comforters. The law and the prophets. The word of God symbolically comforting the one who is the word of God. The Shekinah glory of God the Father also surrounded them. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. For comfort, Jesus let his followers see him exactly as he was. The three of the inner twelve all of a sudden witnessed him in his divinity. They saw the keeper of the law, the most venerated person in all of Israel, Moses, next to him on one side. And they saw the chief among the prophets who, was so, who walked so closely with God in his own right that he ascended into heaven on the other. And they came down and they comforted him. And they got to see this fellowship together of God in human form, of the law and of the prophets. He warned them later on of his pending sacrifice. He establishes himself as the Lamb of God. And in so doing, he states his willingness to die for us. Continuing on in, the, in Luke's Gospel, Chapter 37, the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in that crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and suddenly he screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And to his disciples, he says the words that they didn't want to hear. You unbelieving and perverse generation. And I want you to notice that those two things are brought together in this one statement. Unbelief and perversion. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. 
Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw himself to the ground in a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father, and they were all amazed at the what? The greatness of Almighty God, glorious in his compassion, including in the presence of those who didn't believe. We have a really bad habit of picking on other people for the degree of, of faith, as though that there's a certain amount of faith in your gas tank, so to speak. Faith is not a substance. Faith is a gift of God. For the, for the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, and, and what? Self-control. Who initiates the faith? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the? The Word of God. It's a tandem experience between the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Doubt is something that's on our shoulders. Now, I've preached to you before about the difference between doubt and disbelief. Doubt is what happens when a circumstance in this world presents itself, and we all have a knee-jerk reaction of fear. In this case, a young child suddenly snaps into fits, goes into convulsions. They see an impure spirit at work within him. They know it's an impure spirit. Chances are that the rabbi of the day was testing him to make sure that this wasn't just an illness. So they knew what was going on. So he asked the disciples, but instead of seeing the kingdom of God at work in their midst and being able to heal him because the power of God is greater than the power of the enemy, instead they just they don't see the boy as a soul. They see the convulsions. They see the problem. They see the, 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 the noise coming from him. They see the disease. Their eyes are taken off of the cure. It's not an amount in a tank somewhere. It's a switch. And when we act out of fear, when we allow fear to fester within us, instead of looking at a situation through eternal eyes, we snap and we look at a situation through temporal eyes, we forget the presence of God and our doubt makes itself known. Doubt is not an amount going down. Doubt, doubt is a choice. Not what God can do, but what I can do. Not what the mighty can accomplish, but what the weak can't accomplish. Do you understand what I'm saying? Doubt is when you try to work out the situation in your own wisdom and your own strength because all you see is the world at work, not God at work. So for the sake of the ministry, Jesus warns us this. Disbelief and perversion, first of all, are linked. It's a gateway into sin. Unresolved doubt leads to disbelief. Disbelief is not just not believing in something. It is an emotional reaction to a spiritual reality where someone digs their heels in despite anything that comes to their midst. Remember the story of, of, of the, the, the rich young ruler, the fool and Lazarus? They're on one side of the gulf. The rich young ruler is on one side of the gulf. Lazarus is now in the bosom of, of Abraham. The rich young ruler says, send me back that I might tell my brothers about this place. That maybe through my screams, through my witness, through everything that I can tell them, maybe they'll change your mind. And Abraham says, God sent them the prophets and the Torah. 
If they don't believe them, what chance will they believe you? That's disbelief. It's not doubt. That's when someone, through an emotional state, digs their heels in and refuses to see the spirituality, the spiritual truth that's right in front of their eyes. Are you with me so far? If so, say amen. Disbelief then turns to unaccountability. If I don't believe in God, I don't have a judge. If I don't have a judge, I don't have a punishment. If I don't have a punishment, I can do whatever I want. Does that sound familiar? Unaccountability leads straight into self-interest. It's all about me. I'm okay. You're okay. You be you. One of the most dangerous sentences ever uttered in the English language. Because it means that you have a sense of entitlement, which means you can do whatever you want to. Change your reality as you see fit. Call truth a lie. Be God in your own eyes. Self-interest leads to objectification where the people around you are little more than objects. They're not people made in the image of God anymore. They're not souls. They are functions, little more than animals, something for you to get something out of. Things, job descriptions, numbers, let the church of the living God be a place where everybody is somebody and Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? You are not a number to God. What are the three great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. They're not Job descriptions that happen to walk. They're not objects. They're not animals. They're not beasts of burden. They're not there for you to get something out of. They're people made in the image of God. Every human being is someone made of His image, which means that they are a person of divine worth and eternal significance in the eyes of God, and they should be to us as well. Amen? And the last great commandment, the one that Jesus Himself uttered from the table when He says, Love one another as I have loved you. Respect the kingdom of God and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus also tells us for the sake of the ministry not to look at a situation through human eyes. Doubt is what happens when fear is allowed to fester within the soul and it obscures the power of God in our midst. I can't do it. I can't take this mighty task. I can't help the Jericho house because I don't have enough money. I can't help the ministry of St. Albans. I can't go to my neighbor's house. I can't knock on their door. I can't invite them to a fellowship function. I can't confront someone about Christ. You're right, you can't, but God can. You are his messenger. What does Second Peter tell us? Be always ready to give an account of the hope that is within you. It is God who assumes the responsibility for your actions when you do the work that He has called you to. 
If God calls you to do something, he assumes the responsibility for it. Don't be fearful. The most often commandment, the most often quoted commandment in all of Scripture is fear not. For it is God who is with, at work within you. All you have to do is obey. That's it. Doubt deafens the voice of God as well. God is constantly knocking at the heart, asking you to do something. Take advantage of the situation. Talk to the person that's in front of you. Go across the street. When someone dies, offer them comfort. When someone is the hospital, give them a call and offer them the chance to decompress. If somebody is just in need of a special touch of the master's hand, be that hand. Be the hands and feet of Christ. But if we doubt, if we fear, if we let that fear fester, then we ignore he who calls us to do the work of the kingdom. Doubt also darkens his presence to us, and this is something that we should never forget because his presence is always near. No matter the time, no matter the heartache, no matter the trouble, no matter the situation that this world is. People, this has got to be the craziest time to be in ministry of any other time in recorded history. Would you say amen? What a strange moment in time. I remember being in AP US history. I had a book called The American Pageant. It was about that thick. Now a book that thick contains over 200 years of history. If you wrote a book on just what has happened historically, socially, politically, and financially in the past three years, it in itself could be about that thick, if not bigger. Feel sorry for the AP US history students of tomorrow. I know, you teach it. <laughs> Extra prayer of mercy upon the teachers. But so often we forget that our Heavenly Father is right there. A wonderful old work in the days of long ago. A monk in, ancient, in, in, in medieval France, crippled for a long time. Astounding theologian, and his monastery job was to do the dishes. He wrote a book because of his devotion that others saw in him through his humility and through his work. That book is called Practicing the Presence of God. And he considered everything that he did, even the scrubbing of those wooden dishes, to be a service that he performed to the God who loved himself to the point where one of his, his fellow brothers, a younger brother in the faith, came to him to ask him for help. He would put down the dishes and he would pray over the situation and pray to ask God to release him for just a moment while he attended to his brother. The certain knowledge that you are never alone, no matter the circumstances, no matter the heartaches, no matter the illness, you are never alone and your God is always there next to you. But doubt darkens us, our eyes, to his presence that's right there. Whenever you pray, you're not praying to someone who is just off in a distant, off sitting on a cloud somewhere that doesn't care about you. Your heavenly father is right there. Through the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, he is right there. Here's every word you say. Every thought that your mind and your heart can conceive of. Let God's people say amen.
that also turns obedience into pride. Because again, if I function out of my own wisdom and weakness instead of God's wisdom and weakness, excuse me, instead of God's wisdom and strength, then I am dooming myself to failure every time. It's only with His power, His authority, His wisdom and His guidance that any work will be blessed. God has not, has never, will never bless sin. But thanks be to God, if we are but obedient, He not only assumes responsibility for what we've been called to do, but He empowers us to do it and do it gloriously. Paul puts it this way, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value what? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Your church is a gift. Your church is a gift of God to you. This is not merely a club. This is not merely a gathering of people. Your church is your family. Bought by the blood of Christ. Set aside so that you may be blessed and that you may bless others. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. Every time that someone does not come to church, they're robbing themselves of a blessing of being part of the family of God. And they're robbing the church of the blessing that they alone have been called to provide to that church. The church is a body that has been handcrafted by God, called, to, uh, to, called together through worship, to minister, to fellowship. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. Luke continues, while everyone was marveling at what Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But again, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask about it. For the sake of the ministry, heed the example and live the example of Christ. Jesus' words in John's Gospel to us is, The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... Incidentally, society doesn't want you to highlight, underline, and put Christmas tree lights around that particular verse. Because, again, I'm okay, you're okay, but I challenge you right now, underline that verse. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you that so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? God wants the best for you. Since the, before the foundation of the world was laid, 
Your life was mapped out and authored by Almighty God. You ever think about that? Whatever challenges you're facing, whatever things that are bringing you down, whatever illness you might suffer from in the future, whatever society may decide to do to try to bring you uh, into a depression or to, 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 to paralyze you in being a part of the kingdom, know this. God's already seen it. God's already worked it out. All you have to do is be obedient and follow his lead. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be complete. My command is this. Love each other. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Do you love each other with Philadelphos? The brotherly love, the friendship love, the love of acquaintance. Philios, the love of knowledge. I know this person, they're agreeable to me. See, love is not love. There's multiple kinds of love. There's, there's 12 different kinds of loves in Holy Scripture alone. What Jesus is telling them to do is agape each other. As I agape for you. Agape in Greek is a self-sacrificing love devoid of pride. So what he's effectively telling his church that is being founded right here. Is love one another so wholly and so completely. That just as I'm about to demonstrate to you. You likewise can demonstrate to each other. Greater love has no one than this. Greater agape has no one than this. That someone lays down their life for their friends. How well do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? How well do you love God? When you think about that word, instead of the English catch-all word love, it takes on a whole new meaning. How well do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might? How well do we love agape, our neighbors as ourselves? How well do we agape our brothers and sisters as a reflection of the way that Christ has agapeon, loved us? Work for the welfare of each other. Give to each other. Sacrifice for each other. Yes, that is in there. That's what that word means. Let the world see that love at work within you. You want to make Christ known? This is a commandment with that promise built in. Love one another as I have loved you, and the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christ very ironically, as the word is going to be presented, was glorious in his humility as well. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Now, I want you to imagine this theme for just a second. <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth has just told his 12 closest friends I'm going to be turned over to Roman centurions and die. And they respond almost immediately by, Hey, 
I'm better than you all. Hey, John, you're a little girly man. Hey, Peter, you're a big mouth. Hey, Thomas, you believe yet? I mean, they're, they're starting to brutalize each other socially. They're trying to put each other down to lift each other up. This is right after Jesus told them that he was about to die. This is how they responded. So what does he do? Probably after wiping the tears from his cheek. Knowing their thoughts, he took a little child that had been standing beside him. The lowest ranking right above a slave in that culture. That's what that means. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child, whoever submits themselves, here's a little child. He's ignored. He's expected to be seen but not heard. Of the household, he's the least. Only a slave is over him. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name, in other words, if a slave is beneath them, then whoever acts as a slave to them and humble themselves completely, whoever welcomes this child in my name, welcomes, the one who, welcomes me and welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you it is the one who puts off all pride, who puts off all titles, who puts off all wealth, who puts off all ambition, who puts off all self-interest. This is the one who is greatest in the kingdom of God. So to be the person that Jesus has called us to be for the sake of the ministry, we have to set aside all trappings of power and self. We have to submit wholly to the authority of he who is our Lord. We have to welcome and embrace everybody to the point that we are their servant. And we are to demonstrate that love in front of everyone. Jesus himself set aside his divine glory to become a person, a mortal. He submitted to the authority of Almighty God the Father. When he was finally taken to Jerusalem for examination, did he raise up angels to come to his side? Did he claim his Godhead in a form of power to downplay and to, to overthrow the rulers that were about to condemn him? He did not resist his scoffers. He acted as a lamb being led to the slaughter. And he let himself be crucified. If you read the accounts of the crucifixion in the garden as they come to to get him. He's the one who's in charge. He's the, one, the, 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 the temple guard are looking for him. And it's Jesus himself that goes to them and says, whom do you seek? Jesus is never not in charge. But he set that all aside. All the trappings of power, all the trappings of nobility... The wealth that was his as the prince of the universe, all of it he put away. All for you. 
And he challenges us to go and to do likewise. Selflessness and sacrifice. Submission and obedience. Service and love. This is the challenge that we are presented with when we consider the glory of Christ. Now let the world see that very same glory reflected in you. And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we now bow our hearts at the conclusion of the service of the word, This is a hard message because it goes against the grain of so much of what our world teaches us. So much of what common wisdom suggests that we should be and should do and should act like. But Lord, we know this, that you have a heart that is burdened for those who are made by your hands who you want to stand with you through the course of eternity, who you do not want to see laid into the condemnation that awaits the enemy and his angels. Help us all to die to self. Help us to love you with everything that we are. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, help us to love one another with that same self-sacrificial love as you have loved us. So that when the time comes, when others turn their head and see us, may they see you reflected through us, through our work, through our love for each other, through the love that you grant us to love them. Help us again to love you all the more so that all this may be accomplished. As we now enter into the time of invitation, Lord, we do ask that you would forgive us of the times that we did not love you or our neighbor or each other that you would take the shackles off of our hearts, that we might be that person you've called us to be. And for any who have been convicted, for those whose hearts right now are being knocked on by your Son, Lord, bring them forward now in accordance with your will for those who need a special touch of the Master's hand, for those that are looking for a spiritual home, for those who just need, have a prayer burden that needs an answer, for whatever the need is, draw them to this table. Help them to find the peace that they're longing for. Help them to find that peace in you before it is everlastingly too late. To know that God is near, to know that you will hear them. Draw them to you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.